All right. Welcome, everyone, to another Fight Site interview. Today we have uh, two guests. Uh, one of them you might know already. He's a member of our staff, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo Black Belt, Tommy Elliott. Uh, today we have a guest, uh, a personal friend of mine, another good friend of mine, training partner, uh, Arthur Lanchinskis. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I'm sure. So if you want to correct me there, feel free. Lanchinskis. Oh, oh I, wasn't, I wasn't far off. No, you were not. All right. Um, Arthur was a judo world team member in 2011 for the uh, under 21 division, which, yeah. uh, so, you know, I trained with you in jiu-jitsu. You've taught me a couple of really cool stuff for judo, and I actually was able to implement those techniques in my jiu-jitsu game during some competitions. Uh, I know you're an interesting person. I know you have an awesome story to tell, so I want you to tell it. So tell us how you got started in judo. Tell us about your background, uh, how you got involved, and about your your competitive career. Sure. So how I started is actually very funny because of my background. So my dad has done judo for like basically around 30-something years now, right? So you would think it's a family thing. I got into judo through my dad, right? Of course. So I only found out that he actually even did judo when I started doing judo after I picked it myself. Um, I have just taken to judo last of every sport. Like that's when I ended up picking, but I tried karate, swimming, tennis, basketball, taekwondo. And you know, I went to judo and they gave me a gi right away. And I'm like, mom, if you let me keep the pajamas, I'll come to this thing. <laughs> so that's how I ended up starting in judo. It was like, you know, just fun and games to like nine years old that my dad's like, okay, this guy's had enough fun. And then he's basically tortured me till, I don't know, almost adulthood, like 18, 19 years old. I ended up as a kid doing, well, six times a week. Most days I would do twice a day, privates and, well, privates with my dad. So you can't really call them privates. It's more like, get your ass on the mat, we're going to work out for this hour before your regular practice. And after regular practice, you're gonna stay and watch the adults and try and figure something out. Very beneficial in the long run. I can't say I was a huge fan, but I was like good as a kid. Well, I was also big, like at 13, I was already 5'11", 220, 210. I'm 5'11", 220, 210 now. So for 13 <laughs> to 25, nothing's changed, but I guess it went up fast. Um, so yeah, I trained a lot. I kind of, no, I hated judo. I loved judo until like 10, from 10 to 13, I hated judo. I tried to quit like 50 million times, but every time I tried to quit, it was very simple. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, quit, but you got to do something else. What's something else? You can go dance. Dancing really me. So no. I ended up sticking with judo and at 13, I was like, oh wait, no, I actually really like this stuff. 13 was also around the same time when I joined the adult class fully. So I wouldn't train with the kids anymore. I remember that first day, I was a green belt and I went up against this black belt who's actually also a jiu-jitsu black belt right now and a third degree black belt in judo like me. He's obviously older than me since he was already an adult when I was a kid. But I remember, so three-minute match, right? You would think, how much time is he going to throw me? I'm obviously a kid. Over 40 times, I felt like putty. 
but then you know he the guy comes up to his name is max the guy comes up to my coach he's like who is this kid he freaking he went after me like he's crazy <laughs> so obviously that captured my attention a lot and then it was no longer being forced to train twice a day it was more like i trained twice a day and then i also trained an extra time by myself so three times a day and yeah, the rest is history. That's like how my how I started in judo. Obviously, like I have like some decent highlights as a junior. I won a gold medal at U.S. Open 2011. You know, I medaled at nationals multiple times. I was a world team member in 2011. Also, we went to Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. Um, I got a gold medal at the Bahamas Open. It's not big. It's not huge, but you know, it's still international. There was a few teams. It was interesting. So, yeah, that's my judo experience. I did judo for 17 years now. Um, at 21, you know, just like when, <clears throat> at the highlight, like when you're really starting to get like really, really nasty. Obviously, I was training since I was eight. Um, I actually had a business opportunity and I took that and quote unquote retired from competitive career. But I couldn't really retire all the way. So I was like basically in a startup company. I still, you know, joined like a little gym. They had like a little thing they were starting. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll go coach. It was basically for free. They paid me like $40 a month. And I was there three times a week, two hours, <laughs> 40 bucks a month. It was great. Yeah, there was like three other coaches besides me. And like they also, since I was young, they gave me literally the crappiest time. They gave me like 4.15 on Tuesday and Thursday. Oh, like, yeah, most activities are like for kids, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They gave me Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, 4.15. And most kids in Brooklyn are getting out of school, like I think 2.45 or 3.15. So they have an hour to come home, do homework. You know, I was supposed to have like five, 10 kids in the class and the other classes were supposed to be the busier times. But um, I really have a very wide array of like <clears throat> knowledge in judo because of where I, who I was coached by and everything. So my coach, Wolf Sharkonsky, so he actually passed away, by the way, recently. Basically, well, in Soviet Union, he was literally... Who was that? I'm sorry. I didn't catch the name. Wolf Sharkonsky. Okay. Um, more notably, Volodya Sharkonsky in Russian. But in Russia, basically, he was a legend, you know, and he was like one of the first like Russian judo guys here in New York in the U.S. Like he immigrated from the Soviet Union and everything. Um, I can send you a link in the chat a bit later. Sure. So basically, everyone that was good in judo or sambo, like anyone who's anyone that was coming to New York, they knew to go to Volodya school. So benefit of that was I was always surrounded by European champions, world medalists. You know, there was always 20, 30 black belts on the mat in any class at any time. And it wasn't, you know, like 20, 30 local black belts. It was the guys that competed in the European championships, the world championships, all that kind of stuff. So I got to see like a lot of different styles of judo from all different countries in the Soviet Union. Well, it was one country then, now different countries. And like, you know, every republic had its own style, you know, like... Mongolians fight very different from like the Kazakhstani and you know, like Bikistans fight different. So I had like a wide array. Is your uh, family from Lithuania? Out of curiosity? Is, is your family my... from Lithuania? 
So my dad is half Lithuanian, half Russian. I was born in Moscow myself, but yeah, I have Lithuanian heritage. Okay. I gotta give you credit there, Tommy. I gotta give you credit there. (laughs) When when he asked what your name was, he's like, is he Lithuanian? I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's Russian. So, and he's like, it's just, it's the name. I'm like, oh, cool. All right, he guessed correctly. It's impressive that he knows too, because what the hell is Lithuanian? No one knows. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, judo, and, uh, judo and chess have been two uh, longtime hobbies of mine, and there are a lot of Lithuanians who are good at both of them, so uh, I, uh, I know the naming convention. My uncle beat a grandmaster in chess. I, I don't know the details, but I just know it's like a family story, like, oh my god, he beat a grandmaster in chess. <laughs> that, that would be impressive. It's uh, pretty rare for those guys to lose to anyone but each other. Well, he, he did chess, he did judo and chess his entire life, actually. Yeah. He's gone now, but yeah. Oh, anyway, I, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, so I ended up basically coaching this little thing. My startup company went well. I ended up selling my shares in it. So then I'm basically sitting on the couch thinking, okay, what do I do now? You know, I made a little bit of money. I really miss judo. And at the same time, coincidentally, like a stroke of fate, I guess you can call it. The gym program closes on, oh, I ended up being the most popular coach and with the best results. So the majority of all the kids going, were going to that awkward ass 415 class. <laughs> so I was like, whatever, I'll try and find a place, you know, just for fun. You know, if it covers its expenses, I keep my hobby. It's not bad, right? So opened up what's today known as dark fights. And within two years, we're on our third year now. This nationals that would just happen. Well, this one got canceled, but the one because of Corona, obviously. But the previous nationals, I took seven kids. We took five golds and two silvers. You know, I had the biggest tournament in the country. Uh, I got a best coach award. What else? There's like a lot of, you know, stuff. Like I had kids. I have this one kid. Let me see the statistics. It's like 154 matches won. And like four matches lost. So, and, and that's not like in training or something, that's in tournaments, right? right. But, but that just like shows how much to tournaments we go to because 154 in one year. And you know, you go to a tournament, you get three, five, maybe six matches tops, right? 154 wins. Yeah, we go, we go to literally everything, you know, that's worth going to in the country. And, you know, when nothing's available, like, I'm always inviting other clubs to come and, you know, fight the kids. But they also, you know, they're good sports. I train them like I would train myself. So, you know, quote unquote, the practice is two hours long. It's usually two and a half to three hours. And I can't get those rascals out of the club. (laughs) And, you know, after the practice ends, before they start going crazy, they also end up doing 300 to 500 push-ups, you know, 300, 500 squats, just like stuff, you know, most people here be like, oh my God, that's like impossible. And it's like, I always say this, you know, who doesn't want to do it, you know, go home. It's no problem. This is optional. I can't kick them out of the dojo. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's how Dar Fight was started. Oh, fun play on words, Dar Fight. It sounds like kind of a cool name, whatever. It's like catchy. Dar is from the root word of, from the Russian word padarit. It's the root of it. It means to gift. So basically, since I'm Russian American, 
the gift of fighting, Dar fight. I love that. Yeah. It's a uh, good thing to think of. I'm going to let Tommy ask for maybe some specifics because that that that's a crazy, that's an awesome story. Um, I definitely want to touch on your training methods because you said that you train them like you train yourself. But I wanted to let Tommy have a, uh, a moment to ask you about maybe your style because you definitely be able to play with that a little bit more than I would. Yeah, what was your style? What is your style, I suppose? So I have a few decent talents that, you know, aren't too well known. First of all, I'm ambidextrous. So I basically can do the same with my right hand as I can do with my left hand. So that really helped me in judo because I basically threw both ways. And it wasn't like I had to train a specific skill to throw both ways. No, I just saw someone doing one move that way. I liked, okay, this guy does it this way. So like I saw someone do a left-sided standing Sienagi once and I was like, oh wow, I like that move. Hey, can you teach it to me? He's a lefty, so he taught it to me lefty. Bam, I have a left Sienagi now. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't so realizing it. You're 5'11 and around like 220 pounds, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're more of like a Sienagi and hip throw guy, more so than uh, Uchimata. Oh no, actually, when I did judo, I was fighting at, well, I fought in a lot of weights. I fought minus 100, I fought 90, and I fought 81. My favorite was obviously 81. That's like when I was already like a full-grown male adult, you know. I slimmed down, gained some muscle. Well, right now, I'm not training, but I'm not fat. I still have the muscle. I just grew naturally because I'm, you know, 20, almost 26 already. So I guess I just grew into the weight I had as a kid. But from that age of like 15 being to 20 to like 20 being... 178, 185, you know, I trimmed off most of the fat, you know, it got pretty jacked. Here, I'll show you a picture. I don't know if it matters, but. Oh, I remember this picture. God damn it. Yeah, I mean, you, you were jacked. He was jacked. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know what uh, the difference was between Sega Nagi and Chimata. Oh, I don't know if you can even see it. Not really. No, it's, not well. It's, Super it's, right. That's way too bright. Yeah, it's all right. I, oh, I believe okay. that you were jacked. Don't worry. You can send if you want. You could send me the picture, and I'll post it in the in the. Oh Jesus. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you're helping. shit. <laughs> How the fuck were you 180? <laughs> we Jesus. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't look like a stomach. It looked like a turtle shell. <laughs> turtle shell abs. I like it. Um. What were the what are the differences in the description of those two styles you were talking about, Uchimata versus Sayanagi? So basically Uchimata is like a lighter, more technical throw. Agoshi is like timing and power. So one thing is I did a lot of different moves. Like I had no trouble learning moves. Like I had very good like learning IQ. So I'll, I'll make a list of all the moves like off the top of my head I did. I had a very good sticker. It's like a hook. It's like a okay. foot speed, but it's like a hook. I don't know if you know Jason Morris sticker. I certainly know Jason Morris. All right, the sticker, basically the same thing. I did the sticker. I did a sassai for sweeps. Left-handed, I did a left arm pizzadnya. Um, arm pizzadnya, Russian word, I'm sorry. Left, um, basically you go under the armpit, but instead of doing a sienagi, you do an asoto from the armpit to combine that. If they ever escape that, that asoto, 
I would hit the Sianagi standing. Also, sometimes I would do drops and finish with the drop. If the person, you know, started resisting, I couldn't finish it. I would hook inside like a Kouchi, but I'm off my knee, throw back. I did the fake where you would fake for the thing and you go like outside. Yeah. yeah. Also from the top grip, I would do the same. I would fake and hit. It's basically called a Pasatka in Russian. But like, imagine a Kawuchi, but outside on both legs and you suck him in. See, like I'm bad with the terminology. I can tell you in Russian, but not in English. Yeah. So I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about though, right? I do. I do not, but I am. I you'll, <laughs> you could show me after when Jeans opens up again. Absolutely, yeah. So I don't know if you know Mark Halzinger. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. He had a really nice Auchi to Uchimara. He actually beat Eliadis with it. So that was one. That was the way I did Uchimara from the top grip. I would combine it with the Pasatka and the Sasai. What else was there? And anytime I got the back, you're definitely right. Big Ogoshi, again, Pasatka, but yeah, I don't know. Hang on. Let me turn the lights on. I mean, that's that's fairly rare, honestly, uh, in and of itself, in my experience, for guys who can throw Sayanagi and uh, Uchimata and hip throws well. It's, it's usually most guys get really good at one or the other, right? Like, it's... Uh, it's it's unusual to see somebody who can do both um, at a high level. Well, that that was my talent basically. <laughs> I mean, I had obviously I had calls to Kevin Ross, but yeah, like from left to the back, I would do a Kogoshi, and at the same time, I would twist and I would do a slide to the Right. Hmm. What else? Obviously, I I better than I do. from the same series of where I would do the Asoro from there and Sainagi. If the person like has the grip and I can't really get in, mm-hmm. that's when I would come over. I would do sumis, a goshi from there, yeah. and sweeps. Did you, ever, did you throw much? Uh, did you throw much sode? Because I could see uh, you know being ambidextrous like a uh, sode being a good technique for you. So I do sode well, but I was never a big sode guy. I have double shoulder surgery and knee surgery and i need an ankle surgery so soda is definitely not <laughs> you know, for me yeah it does require uh you, you all your joints have to be good for that to work yeah. for you well, like you, you can take a look at my fingers yeah <laughs> yeah i have arthritis at like 20 yeah mine aren't so bad they used to be much worse but now i mostly do kickboxing so they're, they're not yeah. so bad i'll show you the worst one yeah. yeah um just to compare i don't know if you can see it yeah here we go yeah your fingers are disgusting, bro. Oh, you should see. I have a, uh, I have a broken chest bone that sticks out. You know, but- I, I remember you were training with your shoulder in a sling. You think yeah. I don't remember that, you mm-hmm. lunatic? So yeah, the one thing I definitely lacked was body durability because obviously I trained a lot from a young age, and after thirteen, no one even made me train, which was very bad because people stopped making me train since I was training so much. I severely, severely overtrained. Like, yeah. I'll tell you guys a fun story. It's Hurricane Sandy, like, really bad, like, where your car is already drowned and everything, right? I went to my dojo through hip line of water. I'm knocking on the door. My Volodya doesn't answer. I'm like, Volodya, where are you? You know, like, because I loved it when it was like really bad weather and no one came. It's basically a private, you know? Right. 
And he's like, Arthur, you're crazy. Go the fuck home. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that you did that. <laughs> so that's interesting to hear that you that you were really overtrained because one of the things that I've always thought of as being um, a big advantage of uh, kind of the Russian Soviet school of judo versus uh, Americans, uh, especially, is that there is more focus on technical practice and a lot of work at lower intensity. Whereas I think American judo kind of has the same culture as American wrestling, which is we're just going to go as hard as we can all the time. And the people who survive will be really tough and everyone else will be injured, but fuck them because they weren't tough enough. Well, yeah. but, but you're saying that, that even in presumably coming up in kind of that Russian judo culture, you still ended up being overtrained. Was was that a function of the training or just because you were doing so much training on your own or am I, am I just wrong? No, you're definitely right about American judo being like American wrestling where basically you put them through the grinder and the yeah. pieces of meat that are still thick are the ones that are like the best. Yeah, I'm just retarded. <laughs> like, I remember my coach gave me the key. He gave me the keys to the dojo when I was 14. Right, just so I can come and get extra training myself. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. So I would wake up like 5.30, go running right before school. I would go to school, finish 2.30. From 2.30, I would run to Bally's, well, the, the gym. I'd work out till 3.30. I'd come home, I would eat, and then 4.30 to 6.30, I would go and I would train with my dad while the little kids would train. Then I would take half an hour break, 7 to 9, I did the adult class. After 9 finished, I would find like one or two black belts and just fight them till I couldn't even freaking move. And then I'd go home. So, you know, it sounds like you did a lot of training directly with your father. You're a fairly big guy. How big was he when he's training with you when you're, you know, 9, 10, uh, I'm really still a kid I'll, I'll tell you this my my dad my dad's a freak of nature so like one big thing like i always had trouble so i'm big now but here i'll take a look at me i'm big but i don't look like i weigh 220 pounds right now I'm assuming, right no no you can ask ben who's seen me in person multiple times it doesn't right really now, make sense right now i look like i'm 185 right ben yeah, so it's just from my personal experience, I train with Arthur a lot. We, we train at Jeans. If you watch the Dustin Poirier breakdown with Khabib Nurmagomedov and the guillotine, you'll know what I'm talking about with who Gene is. Uh, he does not give off the impression of the, the size he is and the strength he is. Like you just don't, it's incredibly shocking when you experience it rolling, training, and seeing him in person. It's, it's kind of, you're a freak of nature in your own right, by the way. I'm just putting that out there. Thank you. So my big issue with my genetics, besides me being super injury prone, considering I'm 25, I've had one, two, three, I've had three in three surgeries and I still need to. Uh, bone density. I have very high bone density, which makes me a lot heavier than I'm supposed to be. Like me fully cut up, like when I would cut to 81, I should have been fighting 73, not 81. So... You should punch people. That's a that's a great quality for MMA. What was that? I said high bone density is a great quality for MMA. You should punch people. <laughs> that is true, right. by the way. No, no, no MMA for me, unfortunately. Although it does sound like a fun prospect. Um, it is. Other, other fun things to do too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. Involve, you know, damaging my face. 
<laughs> You're too pretty. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was the initial question? Because I was getting to a point. And just no, I, I was um, asking about uh, training with your 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 dad and yeah, yeah. Uh, directly with him. What what that was like? So smaller. Unlike me with my crappy bone genetics for judo, like for jujitsu, it's actually not a bad thing at all. Considering I'm still strong physically, it's just I'm heavier weight. You know, it would be very uncomfortable for a lot of guys to fight me because they're used to fighting, you know, big guys like themselves. And then the small runs here, you know, but I'll bully them physically. Like Ben's seen me manhandle like 260, 270 pound guys. It's yeah. Oh, uh, jeans, by the way, Tommy, it's all almost all Eastern European slash Russians and everyone like the average weight there is two two fifteen to two twenty plus. Yeah. Like Gene is tiny and I'm tiny there. So I'm tiny, I just weigh a lot. <laughs> exactly. Um anyway, go on, sorry. Um so yeah my dad's literally a freak of nature because he's the exact opposite of me. He's five eleven too like five ten, five eleven but he fought 66 kilograms not 100 kilograms. Okay. yeah yeah thank and super shredded you know like super old school soviet technique he would just beat the shit out of me he would like he'd like make me put my leg 500 times in like one in the same spot before he would let me continue so like i'll give you guys a good example um hang on i just want you guys to see my feet so all right Step, step, throw, right? Right. So this would be training with my dad. Step, get your ass back. Step, nope, an inch too much, come back. Step, 500 times, okay, fine, take the second step. You didn't squat low enough on the second step. Do the first step 500 times again. Jesus. Yeah, that would be training with my dad. I remember when he started going easier at me, because around, don't don't get me wrong, by the way, he's a super nice guy. Like, he's actually very gentle and everything, just not when it comes to judo. <laughs> like, it's like when he hears the word judo, his brain flips and that's it. It's like, this is all business. I ain't your dad. Right now you call me sensei. Yeah. <laughs> just, what happened. That sounds, I can understand why you, like, for, for a time hated it. That sounds like it would make any kid just, want to stop yes and no but that's actually not the reason why i hate it like i hated him for it and <laughs> not judo. <laughs> i just didn't want to do judo because i wanted to like play video games as a kid you know i just got the right. playstation it was playstation one at the time <laughs> you know it's like ps4 or 5 now whatever it is i had game boy sp i was like oh man i'm the man game boy sp now i look at like them kids with nintendo switches i'm like where was i was a kid <laughs> Well, yeah, um, like around 12 or 13 years old. One second, sorry, just something popped out. I just need to get rid of this. Super annoying. Um, okay. I remember we were working out. He was making me practice a solo. You know, he, didn't, he didn't go to the dojo, so we were doing it on my hardwood floor. Well, not here, this is my apartment, but hardwood floor. And he was, I was really pissed off. He was making me do it over and over and over. And, you know, then he was like, all right, fine, resistance train now. You're going to try and throw me as hard as you can. And, you know, he would just resist. And I'm, I'm still a kid. You know, I'm big, but I'm still a kid. He's a grown-ass man. And I remember, I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah, go. And I'm like, okay, full power. Very first one. I guess he wasn't 100% ready yet. 
I smashed the living shit out of my own dad. He, oh, fell, he fell so hard on that floor. I remember it to this day. And like I fell with him, like I banged my knee up because that's how hard I threw him. Like full commitment, a hundred percent. Like I fell right on top of him. And he's like, "Son, we're gonna train a little lighter from now on." <laughs> <laughs> Literally, all he said, like he didn't complain or anything. It's just like I knew he was hurt because we didn't train for like a week after that. <laughs> that's but, that's great. I'll tell you this. Um, from my personal experience, because I push kids really hard too, obviously, in the dojo, and I have very high retention. Like, in two years, I have around 80, 90 students, Ben knows, and that's just, like, the kids. Um, I've realized this. You can actually push some kids like I was pushed, but it all depends who the kid is, you know? Like, it depends the kind of mentality you have, and, like, one thing I had to learn for myself that I was not taught is, if you want to push kids that hard, you have to have, there are two big factors. First of all, like personal interest in judo. If he, I feel like the kid's coming because his parents are making him, don't push him, man. He doesn't want to be there already. Like do your best to actually make him fall in love with judo and like let him have fun. Those aren't the type of kids that should be training for two, three hours. Those are the type of kids that hopefully they'll find interest. They'll find friends. They'll make it a hobby. And if they grow into something like that, eventually great. If not, listen, they're not on the streets. They're in healthy, friendly environments. They're still getting fit. They're still learning self-defense. And then there are the fanatics, the sick kids, I call them. <laughs> Those are the kids that you have to work on two things with them. One, you have to push them and work them like dogs. But I don't push them. I have a trick. I motivate them. I challenge them personally. You know, I kind of guilt them a little. I'm like, all right, all the weak kids, you know, all the kids are doing it recreationally. You guys can go play in that side of the mat. All the competitors on that side, the competitors. And now every kid, every practice has to make sure, make a choice. Is he a recreational student to go play with the little kids mostly? Or is he a competitor? 99% of the time, they're competitors. 99% of the time, I'm like, all right, guys, after like the 200 push-ups, everyone's free to go. Anyone who wants to get extra strong, stay on the mats. One kid gets up, gets a sip of water, comes right back. Don't have to do a thing. They push themselves. And you know what happens when they push themselves? When I'm not really pushing them, I'm just guilting them. I don't have to yell on top of my lungs, you know, 50 more push-ups, 100 more push-ups, like 100 more throws. Because they will go to their absolute limit, the absolute amount they need to do before they just hit too much on their own. Because... Physically, by looking at a kid, I can kind of guesstimate, but I can't tell you the exact number of throws they need to do to be in just the right space where they've done enough without risking injury. Only an athlete can know that. And how do you educate yourself? By having them push themselves. I've realized that if you push kids directly, it will never work. If you motivate themselves to prove me wrong, you know, to prove to themselves, to prove to me, to prove to the dojo, that, yeah, I work hard, I deserve this. That's how I get some of my results. Obviously, unique training methods. I can tell you guys about uh, that. Do you get much, any pushback from parents on that? Oh, um, no, I just have crying parents thanking me that, you know, their kid is doing 200 push-ups and walks off on the mat feeling proud. It's like, 
If a parent's like, isn't it too much? I always tell them, you know, feel free to tell them to stop. I don't mind. I don't have a problem with it. None of those kids train for me. Like, yeah, I have a bunch of champions and all that. But let me guys tell you this. I have zero personal interest in making champions. I want to make good, strong people. I want these guys to go and conquer the world. And, you know, as fun as judo is, as amazing as it is as a sport, that's not conquering the world. The doctors right now that are responding to COVID, those are the people conquering the world, you know. The businessmen, you know, donating masks and money, you know, like people, you know, not just the judo guys. It's not just about judo. You know, when you can push yourself every day, you know, when you can beat that laziness, when you can come to the mat on the days you don't want to come to the mat, when you're scared shitless of a tournament and you talk to yourself. It's not just going out there and, you know, sucking it up. I have my kids train themselves mentally before every tournament. They sit there visualizing exactly how the tournament's going to be. They sit there talking to themselves. I make them say mantras. I make them tell themselves that they're not going to be afraid. They're going to fight hard and they're going to win. Why? Because they're not going to be afraid because they've experienced this already. They've done this a million times. They've convinced themselves to not be afraid. They're going to fight hard. They're going to do their best, their absolute best. They're going to give everything. And that's how they win. Because winning isn't some old guy pointing a hand this way or this way, or raising your hand, whatever, saying you're a winner. Those old guys don't decide if you're winners. You decide if you're a winner. How you do that? You do the absolute best you can in the dojo. You do the absolute best you can in the tournament. You're the winner. You know, old guy raising this hand or this hand, you're not a winner. And if, you know, you're, if you depend on your coach telling you if you're a winner or not, if you depend on some old guy raising your hand and telling you're a winner, you're not going to get far in life. Maybe get far in judo, sure. But as far as life, no. They decide. All my kids are winners because they decided they're winners. Um, I wanted to actually, this kind of question, I guess, Tommy, you can also kind of do the jujitsu portion of it because from what I see of, of kids' jujitsu classes, because I've seen, obviously, Arthur's classes and I seen the videos of his kids competing uh, and I've seen, you know, jujitsu competitions of kids and younger teens. And I notice a very stark difference in the, the sheer levels and abilities of, I would say, the majority. Is it just, I guess, Tom, maybe you can, you can answer the jujitsu part. Do you think it's just the, the types of training, the emphasis, the intensity? Is it because Arthur, just what you described is very, uh, intense, I would say, at least in my comparison to kids' jiu-jitsu classes. Um, what do you th- I'll yeah. tell you a few kids, uh, a few, a few interesting things. Um, first of all, I don't force anyone to do any of the exercises, obviously, right. but I've seen kids with zero training come in on their first day and do 200 squats because they see 50 or 60 other kids around them doing 200 squats and they don't want to be the worst ones. Zero training, zero everything. Physical willpower, you know, like 200 squats seems like a big number, but so does 100 squats, so does 50 squats. But then when you do 50, you realize, oh, wow, I'm barely even tired. It's just, it's all mental. First thing. Second thing, as far as technique goes, so I can't say for much jiu-jitsu clubs, but for judo clubs, I've seen this all the time. They have their star one or two players, right? Always working with each other because they're so far ahead of everyone. You know, like they need to work on their own because blah, 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 they're the best. I have national champions. I have 
I have kids who haven't lost matches in like a year or two, you know, like, and that's going to, I don't know, like 20, 25 tournaments and fighting two to three categories. They haven't lost a single match and I'll go and I'll make them work with the new kid on the first day. And I always make my strong kids like 99% of the time, they won't fight the strong kids every day, but they, they train with all the beginners because guess what? What's the fastest way to learn having a mentor? If this kid who's already trained for two years, his only chance of getting a good practice is to very quickly and effectively teach this guy how to train properly, how to be a good uki, which means like partner in training. You know, the proper mentality, how we're, all right, this part of practice, you shut up and you work and you work on your technique and only questions about judo. Oh, hey, you know, how's, how's school? What school do you go to? No, shut up, man. We're doing judo right now. That's how I get my kids strong fast. You know, but because if you put two beginners together, they're going to talk about like, you know, what school you go to or you play Fortnite or whatever. My competitor level kids don't give a shit about Fortnite when it's judo time. Off judo, yeah, they're going to do all that bullshit. But judo time, guess what? It's infectious. You share the judo time with the beginners, they get infected too because they all of a sudden, you know, no kid wants to be the crappiest one. It's just like, it's all priorities. When their head's all about Fortnite the second, and then boom, paradigm switch. Fortnite doesn't give, no one gives a fuck about Fortnite here. They care about how hard you train if you shut up. I'm going to shut up because I want to be part of everyone else. You know, I want to be part of this team. That's how, you know, in two years, I take, you know, 25, 30 kids to a tournament. I'll tell you guys, um, let me just look it up. I'll tell you the last result my club had. Well, while you're doing that, I, I would say, Ben, that uh, if you look at American martial arts, judo has kind of a unique culture in the sense that it has both a youth and adult culture. And that's actually not true of most martial arts. Like if you look at like karate and taekwondo, they mostly have a kid's culture. That's right. where all the money's at. And those are most of the competitors are, are kids. Uh, if you look at jujitsu, it, it mostly has an adult culture. Um Mostly adults practice jujitsu. Yeah, there are kids' classes, but it's much less emphasized. Um, my personal experience is that coaches don't take the kids' classes as seriously. It's more like prep for being adults, etc. Um, you know, uh, judo is really unique in the sense that I think uh, the juniors and the uh, the seniors are taken relatively equally in terms of seriousness in the U.S. at least. Um, before I give you the statistic, I'll answer that. I'll give my two cents on that point. Me personally, in my club, I don't care if any of my kids ever go to the Olympics. I don't care if they reach a world championship. I care about the here and now because I hear all the time coaches saying, oh, you know, like you have to think about the long-term development. You have to have them have fun so they don't burn out. My personal two cents. You know, I'm not talking about recreation right now. I'm talking about that Olympic level, the world championship level. How much of our athletes go to those tournaments? 1%, right? Only the few chosen ones will actually get to world championships and Olympics and actually pursue that far. Majority of our kids will train till they're 20, till they're 22, whatever. They'll either go to college, do work. And that doesn't mean they stop doing judo. That means they're not aspiring for Olympic goals and world championships. They're aspiring to do it recreationally and live their lives. Because my personal opinion, like this could seem very 
controversial. I don't want my kids to go to Olympics. I want them to do the best they're doing while they're heavily involved in judo. So yeah, I train my kids right now really hard and I'm not worried about them burning out by the time they're 20, 22, because it wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing if, yeah, they go to law school or they become a doctor or become a paramedic right now or start a business or something at 22 versus putting their, you know, lives on hold following the Olympic journey. It doesn't mean I'm against it because let me tell you this, if I have any kid, any single one that, you know, at 22, they're like, sensei, I don't want to go to college or like, I want to put my life on hold, whatever. I want to pursue this. I want to do judo. Guess what? I'm going to pay for every single tournament. I'll send them all over the world. I don't care. You know, I'll, at that point, it's no longer about, oh, this is a client or whatever. This is about, you know, this is my student. If he decides, you know, he wants to do this for the next six years, I'm going to personally sponsor every single tournament they go to. It's not even a question. And I told my kids that, you know, I tell them every time, you know, you don't have to reach the Olympics. That shouldn't be the goal. Your goal is literally the tournament next week, the tournament next month. Don't think about 10 years from now. I want you guys to think about the day as it passes, you know? Every day you think about doing the best, every tournament you think about doing the best. Because, you know, I've seen so many kids, like, these are good, talented kids. They are so freaking strong for their age. And they're sitting there balling because they made a mistake and they lost some stupid local tournament. And they're, and I've heard this, I've heard this from a coach. You're never going to make an Olympic team fighting like that. Are you fucking kidding me? What Olympic team? A million things will happen, you know. Kid blows out his knee, he's done. You know, he finds a girlfriend, he doesn't want to do judo that seriously anymore. Are you kidding me? What Olympics? Focus on today. And just recently, I took 21 kids to a tournament. Um, the Andazuka Cup, it's called. 17 golds, 13 silvers, 4 bronzes. Most kids fought two categories. My club is two years old, two and a half or whatever. I guess you can count Corona time, two and a half. It, it is certainly true that there's a very strong emphasis on the Olympics. I, I distinctly remember being at Collegiate Nationals in 2004, and before any of the matches started, uh, my coach made a point of introducing me and one of the other better guys on the team to uh, Ed Liddy, if you know who Ed Liddy is. Yeah. Um, and, like, making a point of, like, Ed, you should High watch performance the performance director, Ben. What? The high performance director for the U.S. national team. Oh, okay. At the time, he was the national team coach. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, I went out. I did okay. I think I took seventh at collegiate national, something like that. But um, I, I distinctly remember that because that was that was his big thing. My coach's big thing was, like, you know, you have to do really well because if you, you know, if you could do really well and Ed watches you do really well, like, maybe you get an invite to the OTC and, you know, who knows where it goes from there. And it's like, well – I got a job lined up <laughs> in the fall. Uh, you know, I'm graduating from business school. I, I don't know if that's even something I want to do, but um, it, it is very much the uh, the atmosphere. Yeah, but like, you know, everyone's like, I've, I just had uh, actually a fight on a tournament before Corona started with a coach. I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but he was like, you shouldn't be teaching these techniques too early because it's not good for the development. You know, our goal is, you know, to get these kids to Olympics and world. I'm like, dude, these parents aren't paying you to take their kids to Olympics. They're paying you to teach them judo. Teach them freaking judo. Like, don't be thinking about your personal desires and dreams 10 years down the line and plan this kid's whole life for him. 
Teach him the fucking judo. He'll figure out what to do with the judo. Teach him the judo. Do not think about personal vendettas. That's <laughs> that is the right word, but whatever. Um, before, before I, I don't want to um, miss anything judo-wise. So, uh, Tommy, Arthur, anything you want to say before? We, I, I wanted to definitely ask you about um, your transition, I guess. Not really a transition, but your now involvement in jiu-jitsu. Uh, but, oh, Tommy, do you have any other no. Uh, real quick, how did how did Gene find you? How did they find you? Is my first question. Funny story. So I heard back when he was on like Avenue M or whatever it was, I forgot like very far from Brighton. Yeah, yeah. On Avenue Z and seventeenth or something like that. Yeah. It's far. Wait, no, not Avenue Z, even before that when he was with the oh. other by Je uh oh that was on like uh x and uh x and yeah. ocean parkway yeah very, very far basically from where we are now um i i was still doing judo and i just came through because i heard from i heard on instagram like one i saw on instagram one kid i went to high school with he just posted some jujitsu thing i was was curious about jujitsu because i was really good in the and judo like that was one of my favorite things to do so I'm like, hey, is that the jiu-jitsu school? He's like, yeah, you know, you should come try it. I'm like, okay, where should I go? He's like, where the, well, the advanced class is like, and it was a ridiculous day that late hour. It was like 8 or 9 p.m. Yep, 9 to 12.30. 9 to 12.30. Yeah, it's a super late night class. And to me, it sounds like, yeah. <laughs> it's basically jiu-jitsu after hours. <laughs> and to me, this sounded like a complete mystery because I'm literally, I messaged this kid after I finished training the third time that day. And I'm like exhausted. Like, what the fuck do you guys have? It was already like 10, like the class was already going on. And it's like, you got jujitsu there this time? It doesn't even mess with my training? Hell yeah, I'll go do a fourth training today. I'll try this stuff. I came there once. You weren't there, Ben. I was not. I would remember, dude. There was like a bunch of kids my age, Gene, like it wasn't a big turnout. There was a Slaw and like a few others. Pasha wasn't there either. So I went, um, I tapped everyone and I'm thinking to myself, all right, this guy that's been instructing, he looks interesting. I want to fight him. I fought Gene. Um, I tapped him once, but he beat the shit out of me. He tapped me like five or six times after that. I'm like... <laughs> Wow, this guy's really freaking good at Parter. Parter is Nawaza in Russian, and but it was really jujitsu. It, it wasn't French. What, what? was that? Parter is French. It is. You're saying Parter? <laughs> I don't know about that, but in Russian we call Nawaza Parter. That's funny because it's Parter is groundwork. It's it's the international um, Greco-Roman freestyle wrestling term for uh, groundwork, but it's uh, it's a French word. Well, that's cool. No, How did a French word get to Russia? Never mind. That's a, probably a different question. That's Napoleon, man. Learn your history. Very good call. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Sorry. So, um, I was fully committed to start going to jiu-jitsu. Guess what happens a week later? Blew my knee out. Yep. <laughs> forgot about jiu-jitsu because it took me like two months to recover that thing. And I blew my knee out getting a gold medal at national uh us open and I won but i basically ripped my meniscus and junior world championship trial is a week away i was in florida 
I literally sat on the beach soaking my knee in salt water because the Russians told me that would help. It didn't fucking help. <laughs> it was nice, but it didn't help sitting on the beach for three hours getting sunburned to soak the knee in the damn salt water. Like, it did nothing. My knee was swollen like this. I went there limping. Um, I took a bronze at that world trial, but it was gold and silver that goes. But in, like, the final match, the fight for, like, silver or bronze, I was fighting this guy, and I remember he kept trying to drop right under my knee. And I noticed him before because he was dropping the other way the whole time. He kept dropping under my knee. I got pissed, so I saw him, like, icing his shoulder before I started attacking his shoulder. Like, it, it wasn't even clean or nice. It was just two hotheads fighting each other. Long story short, he hurt my knee more. I ripped his shoulder, but then I ripped his shoulder so bad he couldn't go. So I ended up going. I mean, that's one way. <laughs> so you both destroyed each other's bodies, but you destroyed his worse. So therefore, you were able to go. Yeah. Um, it was brutal, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, in the heat of the moment, like, I had matches where it would stop being judo. It was just us headbutting each other, you know, like. I've had guys whisper to me, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. <laughs> you <know? Jesus. laughs> like, judo is the gentle sport, gentle art, gentle way, but it's not always gentle. Jesus. Yeah, it's right. fun. You know, I've, I've had hundreds of judo matches and hundreds of jiu-jitsu matches, and I've definitely had judo matches that turned into, basically turned into fights. I don't know that I've ever had that happen to me in, uh, in jiu-jitsu, like maybe once or twice, but. Uh, <laughs> I've just had seems... experiences there too, by the way. What? I've had some bad experiences in jiu-jitsu too. Oh, uh, well. Don't well, mention. You remember the situation? I don't think we should mention it on. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> you can tell him in private later, but especially <laughs> the affiliations you carry, my friend, definitely no. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, we'll see you later. Um, recording. So uh, the the w with regard to jujitsu, so Gene, you obviously got you got hooked up with Gene that way, and now by the way, Gene uh, uses his gym actually, uh, Darfight. That's where they train. Uh, we do have to go soon, so I want to try and get a little bit. How was your transition to jujitsu? What? Uh, how do you feel about jujitsu as you've gotten deeper and deeper into your training? Um, what do you like about it compared to judo? What do you dislike about it compared to judo? What are your experiences mostly training with people? In jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is a lot less injury-prone than judo. Unless you're a retard that doesn't know how to tap. And if you're getting, like, kimurd and you're waiting till the very last second till your arm falls off to tap. But then that's not a jiu-jitsu issue. That's a, you're a fucking retard issue. That's one. For the simple reason is, when you engage on the ground, all force is, like, one-fourth of standing, you know a lot less velocity, a lot less spazzy movements, you know. Um, your toes and fingers are safer just because, you know, you're trying to do a foot steep, you stub a person's toe, you stub a person's foot with your toe and you break a toe. I've had like 15 toes broken. I only have 10 toes. So you can imagine how much times I broke my damn big toe. Um, jiu -jitsu. That's not the judo thing though. I've broken both my big toes. It's like, it just happens a lot. Yeah, it really does. It took me eight years. It took me eight years to hurt my big toe in jujitsu. Yeah, because you're not doing foot sweeps. That's well, judo, I, judo is not really my thing. <laughs> I'll tell you guys this about jujitsu: like two things actually. 
one thing that's really, really, really interesting. Jiu-Jitsu is so much more well-developed in the U.S. than Judo is. Everything is systematic. Everything is methodical. There is clear-cut, you know, this is the goal. This is what you do. You do A, B, and C to get to D, and this is how you win. Judo, from what I've seen, most coaches will just teach you a bunch of moves, and if you have natural talent, you win. 95% Judo coaching is, is garbage. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Um, you know why? Because they use the Soviet system, they use the Japanese system, because Japan does that too. But here's the thing, everyone's fucking doing judo in Japan, and judo is paid for in Japan. So they're not looking to make everyone's judo better. They're looking to find the star players to represent their country because everything is paid for, everything is free. They're looking for the top talents. Mm-hmm. The system here that I've seen is awful. And guess what? This is why every random blue belt in jiu-jitsu is better than most. There's like a black belt in judo in the wasn't. Like, granted, they do a lot of more, more time on the ground than judo guys do. But still, like, over the course of 15 years, a blue belt and a black belt, there is no system majority of coaches. The reason why Darfight is winning the way Darfight is winning is because I've systemized literally everything. I've taken away that... Fight, I don't teach moves, I teach systems. And guess what? When you have a system, you don't have to stop and let your body feel it. And you don't have to stop and think in the heat of the moment, okay, what do I do? You know when he steps away from that Asoro under the armpit, you smash him with a Sayanagi. You know if you get stuck, you go for the inner hook. You know if someone has a top grip on you, you push away through that collarbone. You know, like, there is no thought. The less thought you have in judo, which is a super high-speed sport, the better. Because you know the only guys who are winning in judo, if you look at the national, like the top, top players, the highly skilled Japanese, the highly skilled Russians, the highly skilled Georgians. And guess what? Those guys are freaks of nature. You also see the weird stuff where he's spinning off his head, doing three backflips to get out of the throw. Majority of people aren't going to be able to do that. But guess what? Here's a good example. Travis Stevens. Silver medal on the Olympics. He was not the best judo player on that Olympics, but he had the systems. He had the niwaza. He had the unique skills that all those other judo players didn't have. He took his time. He found his unique opportunities, and he won. And as great as judo is, and as much as I love judo, Jiu-Jitsu is what got him that medal, in my personal opinion. And I'm not an Olympic champion. I agree. And I'm a black belt in both. I have no real dog in the fight. But he won because he was able to pass guard, basically. Yeah. And he got a lot of Tomi points. And by the way, Travis is a great freaking judo player. He's phenomenal. He's very strong. But, you know, when you're in Russia or when you're in Georgia or when you're in Japan where everything is paid for you, and you're coming from a doggy dog world, you know, survival of the fittest. When you're selected from, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of judo players where everything is free, you know, money isn't the question. It's just who's going to work harder? Who's the most talented? And guess what? Talent and hard work are always over there in those countries because everything is free. They got nothing better to do, you know. Here, judo is a luxury. You can't pay for your tournaments. You're not going unless, you know, you're lucky. So, wait, wait, just 
all those other cultures, they're doing the same thing they were taught to do. Guess what? Judo didn't originate in the United States. It originated in Japan. There are a bunch of Russian people here, a bunch of, you know, Cuban people here, you know, a bunch of different Judo that came over from overseas. And yeah, those coaches are taking those methods where you have thousands and thousands of sample people to work with and they're using them here. So yeah, they're just teaching moves and waiting for that super talented person to appear. But they're not picking from hundreds of thousands of people. They're picking from maybe a hundred people. So no shit, your club's gonna suck. Start teaching systems. Every single freaking judo coach can learn a lot from just going to jujitsu, even from one year. Listen, I know a lot of judo and guess what? I had systems when I was doing judo. I still learned a lot for my judo from jujitsu. God, I think so much people are going to hate me for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I want don't. To one thing. I'm sorry. I love all the judo coaches are great. We all have the same goal to improve and help kids. All I'm saying is there is a lot to learn from jujitsu in that aspect. I think jujitsu is light years ahead of judo in terms of system. I don't think it's because their jujitsu is better than judo. I don't think judo is better than jujitsu. I think there is just a better way of teaching and getting the jujitsu to the jujitsu students in the United States in jujitsu than it is judo to judo students. In judo. Learn systems, guys. It'll all be easy. Well, I think we're out of time. So before we go, obviously, um, I want you to be able to plug your school and anything else you'd like to to shout out. Um, please feel free to you have the floor uh, before we go. All right. If you guys are in Brooklyn, come to Dar Fights. I'll make you do 500 push-ups, 500 squats. You play like an animal. You will love it. You will not want to leave. I will teach you some stuff you've never seen before. Or maybe I won't if I don't like you. So if you're not a nice person, if you're an asshole, don't come. We'll beat you up. If you're a good person, come. Awesome. Uh, Tommy, anything? I don't know if you have any articles or anything you want to just quickly shout out before we go. No, no, nothing. Thank you very much for the time. It's very interesting. Take care. Really appreciate it, Arthur. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a fight site interview. Make sure that you check out the website. Obviously, we have amazing articles and writers, and we have the podcast network. Uh, make sure you check out the Patreon. Uh, there are exclusive uh, uh, articles that you can have written. You can have your your uh, you can have your fight tape looked at and analyzed. Opponents, if you really really want to support us. Uh, you can join the Discord. There's tons of stuff. Check us yeah, out. We do, uh, we do fight watch uh, fight watch alongs all the time with uh, absolutely most of the business. So uh, it's it's a hell of a lot of value for uh, you know five bucks a month or whatever you choose to pledge. Yep. All right. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, have a great night. Thank Stay you very safe. much. Bye bye.